Beware of respectable people, of people perfectly grammatical and proud of it, of crooks who mistake their crookedness for something else, of persons who let their thinking be done for them and don't know what is happening to them. Beware of snobs as more pathetic than thieves, gamblers, conmen. Beware of those who laugh at original work, not knowing all original work is laughed at to begin with. Beware of yourself when forgetting how to use silence, of yourself when afraid of your deeper dreams. Beware of yourself more than anybody else. Beware when you fail to remember that man's fate on the earth is concentrated in the word struggle. That's old Carl. <laughs> Gary Merrill reading Carl Sandberg. What a natural combination. <laughs> Seems like he was born to read Sandberg. <laughs> Gary Merrill, who most of you know is a celebrated actor, of course, of films, and that one classic, All About Eve, a study of ambition, I suppose. So he's visiting town. I thought... Gary Merrill to just read poetry and comment about them and about whatever crosses his mind as we go along on this very informal hour or so. Sandberg and you, I think some years ago you and Betty Davis and Norman Corwin was directing it, were offering a Sandberg evening at yeah. the Civic Theater. It was called The World of Carl Sandberg. The World of Carl Sandberg. I'd, I don't know how you describe it. It was just a lovely evening in the theater. I never saw it, of course, because I was in it. But, no, geez, I fell in love with Carl. And there was a picture. It's interesting because I've got that Neanderthal profile like he had, and I had a little more hair hanging down. And there's a picture of my son Michael sitting in his lap, and me and Carl looked like three generations of the three of us. You, know? Do you, knew San you met Sandberg? Sure, he, he was did. with us every he once in a while. Him. He'd come, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, I knew him. So he yeah. saw... You heard you and yeah, Betty Davis yeah. do the readings. I used to kid him. I'd say, you write them, I'll read them, Carl, you know. <laughs> I'm thinking about you... And these years that have passed, what you've been doing and your own reflections. You're from New England, Maine. Yeah, Maine. And there you, things come to you, poetry of all sorts and writings, and sometimes from children and sometimes from old people. Well, when I get a little anxious, I, I love kids. Kids are my bag. And uh, so I just put a little thing in the paper, you know, here I'm going to go. And I go all over the state of Maine reading in the schools, you know, and I picked up a lot of stuff. For instance, this is one I love. This is, you can see from how long it's, I've been carrying it. It's signed Petra Franklin, seven going on eight, third grade. Just call people. Some people are fat. Some people are skinny. Some people are tall. Some people are small. I am just right. Isn't that a happy little kid? Yeah. <laughs> well, I should point out that, that sheet of paper that you've been carrying. Yeah. I can see it's, it's dirty, sure. just it's torn, and it's the kid's big hand. Her, Petra, I yeah. assume. Yeah. Third grade. Yeah. Right? I think the third grade, I decided this last time, the third grade is the last time they're completely pure. They haven't, then they begin to be adulterated, you know? Adulterated. Yeah, <laughs> the adults get at yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> adulter, adulterated. Uh, you know, it's funny. As you say that, there's a, one of the most popular in 33 years of doing this program. The most popular all is a short story read every time school begins, the first day. It is called My Little Boy by a Danish writer, one that you could read beautifully. A Danish writer back in the 19th century, last part wrote, named Carl Ewald, and it's about this writer who knows he has to send the boy to school. 
He's furious with himself because because <laughs> something's going to happen to him at school. Yeah. He was teaching him about yeah. animals in a zoo shouldn't yeah. be there and about yeah. life. And now they're going to teach him that two boom, and two is four. Yeah. And he's going to ruin him. Take all that imagination. Yeah. 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 Stamp him out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, about. yeah. Got to read those things to kids. I think, you know, as we hear you read some more poetry, you'll pick up in Sandberg and Frost, perhaps others. I'm thinking about that every now and We know all sorts of films are being made, but that one film, let me say, all about Eve, really that sharp film by Mike, dealt with primarily hard, tough... Ambition. Well, it was a great woman's picture, and it's almost a little classic, you know? It's amazing. I think that picture's probably played more than anything. And none of those people get a dime out of it because uh, Ronald Reagan was president of the union and uh, didn't get any <laughs> money from any picture made before 1960. That was his advice, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now I was thinking about the the theme of it, the the nature of ambition itself, oh, of yeah. ma making it, making it yeah. in a tough world. Tough, tough, yeah. I didn't see applause with Loren, with Bacall in it, but I saw it just recently in a summer. Place. Well, that was based on it. Oh, yeah, it was based on it. I don't know, just that terrible drive thing. I don't know, Jesus. That's the one thing you apparently don't appear to be. Subject to quite obviously. I never had any. You know, I've just figured it out. John Cole is a lovely writer friend of mine, and we're working on us on my book. I started years ago with Elliot, and he couldn't finish it. We got an advance from a publisher, but Elliot was kind of injecting his own thing into it. You know, like I left Hollywood because it was all a lot of crap. I left Hollywood because I wanted to live in Maine. I was looking for a way of life, not a career, you see. And I'd gotten to a point where if I didn't care what I did, I'd go out there and pick up some money and come home. You know. And, but I was looking for a way of life. Just to, I wanted to live my lazy slap. I ran for Congress once. I was down in Selma. I went over to Vietnam. You do all these things, and you know. I noticed that that you were. I remember those. Uh, you were, during the time of the Selma, uh, Montgomery march. Yeah. You were in that one, but also in Maine, your your life there is that what? It's it's not a retired man's life. No, I'm always doing something. You know, people say, what are you doing, man? Well, 24 hours isn't enough. There's always something to do. You know, you go out, you so go it's fishing, not nine, you do this, see, you do that. You're defying what is a ritual in the lives of the great many of us, and that is nine to five or something called a job work. A job is something for which you get a regular salary, a paycheck, which you yeah. report in the morning or depending on night work, evening. Yeah. You don't do that. But actors never did, you know, and then they say, I say actors are out of work more than they're in work, so retirement's very easy. I was retired half the time. You know. It's funny how they use the word, the euphemism, at liberty. At liberty, yes. At liberty. Yes. And well, I do a couple of voiceovers, you know, and it always says announcer, and I said, in Europe, they call us artists. So the next time I came in, they had artists. Right. <laughs> so where do you get the poetry that you read in school? And it's sent to you? Is that of your poetry? No, I picked them up uh, at the schools when they, when they know I'm coming. They, you know, I said, they said, well, would you like to read some stuff that the kids wrote? And I said, of course, you know, this is the fun of it. And uh, this is one I picked up. Now, this is little, some of them draw pictures. You see little fish and so forth. And this is called I'd Rather Be. We should describe that particular lined piece of paper you have that has the drawings by the artist herself. By Michelle Laurie Garner. Yeah. Michelle, Michelle Garner, Garner and Laurie, and Laurie Gorman. Garman. And these are fishes and crabs. Yeah. Crayon in crayon. I'd rather be. I'd rather be a fishy in the big blue sea 
than be a tuna sandwich eaten up by the, you know, <laughs> simple little things. But this one, I, this was just about the time the horror things must have been coming in because the teacher handed me this and I read it. I said, my God. So I said, well, he wrote it. I'll read it. It's called A Night. A quiet night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a dead mouse. The children were numb by the chimney square, all hoping that St. Dracula soon would be there. Mother was laughing, father was dead, baby was squished all over the bed. They fall apart when you read this. It's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> the baby was squished all over the bed. They don't fool around. See, no. kids writing things, the baby was squished all over the bed. <laughs> Like in no Mother Goose Tales, yeah, too. That's sure. pretty rough stuff. Do their own. Oh, sure it was. They don't no. give the they give the age on these in some cases. No, some I think he was about nine or ten. Yeah. She, the little first one, was seven going on eight, you see. That's the pure ones, the pure ones, yeah. I thought, Gary, as we're choosing, little thing, yeah. we'd read other... Let me, re let me read one of Janet Newman's, this old friend of mine. Now, who's Janet Newman? Janet Newman lives in Washington. Her, her husband died years ago. He was a pathologist, great doctor. And she writes poetry. And I met her a couple of years ago. She comes up to near where I am in the summertime. And I'd like to read a couple of, a couple of hers just for the fun of it. Social comment. Let's see one of these. Pious people, this one's called. Sunday is the good Lord's day. We go to church and there we pray. On other days, we show our skill by the number of them we are able to kill. Love your enemy is the word on Sunday. Get rid of him, we are told, on Monday. God's children we profess to be. The devil's work is all I see. Yeah, yeah funny that you've got the, you've got a poem written by seven, eight-year-old kids. Yeah. And they've got one by the old lady here. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's the fun, the span it, you know. It's funny. I, well, I know it's occurred to you. Uh, the yeah, very young people and very old people, that, the empathy is there. Yes. It's that middle group. That's right. That offers all that trouble. That's right. Yeah. I think half the reason I live in Maine is I went to my grandmother's house. I always was going to my grandmother's house. It was a combination of Maine and my grandmother. Fortunately, she lived near the ocean, so I'm an ocean person. Yeah. It's funny. Also, you can live to be about 115 years. <laughs> because in Maine, somehow, that's where Scott Nearing lived. Yeah. And, and he made 100. Yeah, yeah. A place yeah. called Harborside. Yeah. Is that I near? never got down there. No, that's about 150 miles northeast of me, yeah. Down east. But it's always been the New England coast for you. Right? Yeah. Oh, well, I, I say if you put a kid to the coast of Maine in the summer... It's worse than dope. <laughs> Funny you mention that now because Buckminster Fuller always spoke of Maine, childhood, yeah. and learning from some of the seamen. Nature and yeah. stuff, sure, sure. I think Vermont's the most beautiful of the New England states, but it has no ocean. got to have the ocean, you know. Like, go into it, and it's just, it's alive. Well, it, did you, when you, since Maine is your base, and it's the outdoor life and the easier life you seek. What led you into a, th a theater? Way that was way back, isn't it? Well, I started in the theater for all the wrong reasons, I think. I was in a school, and they said, you know, one of those private school, prep school, whatever. And they said, well, you just don't play football and study. you got to, you know, have a little culture or whatever. They didn't say it that way, but either the French club or the dramatic club or something. I went in the dramatic club. And because of my voice, they were doing some silly thing. I played the heavy because I had this heavy voice. 
And it was one of those silly comedy squirting the soda bottles and everybody's laughing and clapping. I said, boy, this is for me. I hadn't had enough approval at home. I went into it for approval. So as soon as I got it, then I, I always said I was not a dedicated actor. As soon as I got my approval, I just use it for a way of life, it. you see. And so there was a wholly different way. But that way of life there is so different from the New England way of life that's part of your being. Out there, I mean. No. Oh, well, I did. I was only out there about four years, really. But, I mean, went to New York first and started. But when you're young and you're going at something, yeah. you know, you don't pay any attention. Yeah. But these guys that are the real actors, they don't care where they are as long as they're acting, you know. I'll be out playing golf or something on Saturday afternoon. I said, imagine those idiots doing a matinee in New York. Well, they're happy as clams. You know, Carl Mall and Hoffman. These guys want to act all the time. You don't. That I that don't. Your See, way. No, it was a way of life I was after. But the poetry, though, that you got a kick out of reading. Well, I got you... with that with Carl. When I first yeah. met Carl, I, I learned a whole way of life. That's when I said... I don't know. that This is the way I'm going. If anybody wants to come with me, fine, you know. And that's the way I went. And then I was sitting in New York one time with nothing to do, and I got a hold of some Frost and put it together and went to a school to read it And, and that was because it. kids are in my bag. Yeah. Let's, let's take a whack at some more, even sight sure. reading if need be. Sure. What do you want? Do you sight want? reading, by the way, for those well, means first reading, reading it just as you see it. So is you finding something hits you? Yeah, here's a here's a little girl. She was about thirteen or fourteen, right? The child's eyes are full of hate. It's not his fault. He's known no love. All his life he's been just second rate. He's had his share of pain and strife, a mother gone, a father drunk. He's had few pleasures in his short life. There's still some hope for this young boy if someone will care and give him love. Perhaps he'll learn the meaning of joy. Now, this is a 13-year-old yeah. kid, you know? Unbelievable. Child's face is full of fear. His eyes are crying streams of tears. He's so young and wants to know why his parents are not near. He doesn't know which way to go. Right now, he doesn't understand. But someday, when he is a man, he'll know the reason why his parents left him alone to stand. And he'll no longer cry. You know, the kids are just something else. You know what's so funny? As you read that, here, poem, you might say Poems of Innocence and also yeah. Wonder by Children, I happen to, because I know that you were doing Sandberg and Frost. Yeah. Here's the Sandberg collection. And as you're reading that poem, my, I just opened a page, 169, accidentally, and it's called Cahoots. And right. here's what happens. And this is it. This is from Smoke and Steel, early right, collection yeah. of Sandberg. Play it across the table. What if we steal the city blind? If they want anything, let them nail it down. Harness bulls, dicks, front office men, office men, and the high goats up on the bench. Ain't they all in cahoots? Ain't it all 50-50 down the line? Peatmen, dips, boosters, stick-ups and guns. What's to hinder? Go 50-50. If they nail you, call them a mouthpiece. Fix it, you gazump, you slanthead. Fix it. Feed them. Nothing ever sticks to my fingers. Nah, nah, nothing like that. But there ain't no law we gotta wear mittens, huh? Is there? Mittens. That's a good one. Mittens. There ought to be a law. Everybody wear mittens. <laughs> now, you got that thing written, yeah. God knows, one of the 20s, yeah, yeah. 60 years ago, yeah. and you got these kids border looking for a certain meaning to life. It goes right around. Yeah. You know, for instance, right now in, in Portland, they're having a big thing about 
the massage parlors, okay? Yeah. Well, the, the real masseuse people. Portland, were, Maine. Yeah, Portland, Maine. Yeah. Now, all I can think of is a hundred years ago, Clarence Darrow was hired by the real masseuse people in this city of Chicago to fight because they were closing down the massage parlors because of the same problems. You know, was that it? A hundred years ago, Darrow had one of those cases. A hundred oh, years yeah, ago, and he yeah. got the injunction that stopped it yeah. and so forth Isn't for the for amazing? the for the real masseuses. You see, so here we here we and are. A hundred years. What's the change? You know, what's that expression that the French have? Oh, the more things yeah. change, the more they're the same. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. It, it, it's it's still going round and round the mulberry bush. Sure. Uh, Why don't they ever learn from history? Huh? I'd love to have, since all sight reading, challenging an actor, Gary Merrill. Not challenging. He's, he's, there's a guy named Tom McGrath, whom you haven't read. I know. No, you no, about. no. But Tom McGrath, and this is a sight reading thing. When will we ever learn? And he's, this is toward the end. Bob Cromey, who was a marvelous Chicago yeah, literary critic, collected it. poems about war. Yeah. World War II early on, where steel winds blow. And yeah. why don't you try this? It's called Gone Away Blues. Imagine a blues played behind it. And this is for the, for the benefit of the audience. Uh, Gary Merrill hasn't seen this at all. I'm giving him to read, just sight read it for the first time. <laughs> yeah, challenge. Just yeah. try that. Yeah, let's gone try. Away, imagine a blues in the background, this one. Sirs, when you are in your last extremity, when your admirals are drowning in the grass-green sea, when your generals are preparing the total catastrophe, I just want you to know how you cannot count on me. I've ridden to the hounds through my ancestral halls. I've picked the eternal crocus on the ultimate hill. I've fallen through the window of the highest room. But don't ask me to help you, because I never will. Sirs, when you move that map pin, how many souls must dance? I don't think all those soldiers have died by happenstance. The inscrutable look on your scrutable faces, I can read at a glance. And I'm cutting out of here at the first chance. I've been wounded climbing the second stair. I've crossed the ocean in the hull of a live wire. I've eaten the asphodel of the dark side of the moon. But you can call me all day and I just won't hear. Oh, patriotic mister with your big ear to the ground, sweet old curly scientist wiring the birds for sound. Oh, lady with a stupid glass heart on your heels so rich and round, I'll send you a picture postcard from somewhere I can't be found. I have discovered the grammar of the public good. I have invented a language that can be understood. I have found the map of where the body is hid. And I won't be caught dead in your neighborhood. Oh, hygienic inventor of the bomb that's so clean. Oh, lily-white senator from East Turnip Green. Oh, celestial mechanic of the money machine. I'm going someplace where nobody makes your scene. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Adios, au revoir, so long. Sayonara, dovizdanya, ciao. Bye, 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 bye. Bye-bye.
Oh, isn't that that's a it. something? Oh, that's that's a one hell of a job of first reading. <laughs> <laughs> now, that is what I call fantastic sight reading. Isn't that, that guy something? Oh, yeah. That, no, I'm going to get a hold of Thomas some McGrath of his is yeah, his I'll name. Find, I'll find him. And he's done all sorts of poetry. One series called Letters to an Imaginary Friend. He's a guy from uh, North, no, South Dakota, I think. What's, well, Gary, as, as we wander around and about this field, a couple of more poems I think you ought to read, because obviously that's a natural for you, reading the poetry. Yeah. And you, well, I know what it was. Before the poem, I know people observe this, you have sort of a necklace. But it isn't a necklace, <laughs> a medallion, but it's, it's garlic. Right. It's a clove. No, it's just garlic. It's a big hunk. And I a hunk of garlic off it. attached onto what appears to be a... a, a Somebody gave me a pair of shoelaces called I Love Golf, and it just happened to hang it on. I got a friend, a young friend who's got a beard and went around the world for three years, and I call him Ahab, and he's got a big sail knife, and he sticks it on this for Well, me. you know, garlic, there's all sorts of mythology about all sorts of foods, and garlic has, is this to keep evil spirits away? It's supposed to keep evil spirits away. I haven't mm. seen any vampires around, mm. Mm. but basically it's because I love it, and restaurants don't have it enough of it for me, and so they, I just take any kind of dressing and give me a sharp knife and I knock off. Oh, so you eat about five or six so you a cut a piece of garlic sure, off just your whip it off. Medallion. I'll do it at lunch. You see, you'll see, see what I do. <laughs> sure. And do you know something? Garlic is having a big resurgence in this country. Now, I was at a Yale graduation recently and I ran Bishop Moore's one of his daughters. She saw the garlic and she said, you ever hear a less blank? I said, no. He makes documentary pictures and little things. She said, well, you've got to get get this one. It's called Garlic is Better Than Ten Mothers. So I've sent for it. I'm going to see what the picture is. <laughs> it's the healthiest thing in the world to eat. You can put drug companies out of business. You don't take pills all the time. Just eat garlic. They say, yes, I give it to my dog. <laughs> Why don't they do it for themselves? So that's, a, that's known as an edible medallion. An, an edible medallion. Yeah, yeah. That's right, sure. It's what a conversation shall, piece. You don't have yeah, to think. It just yeah. starts the conversation. Right. What so. shall we try? Now, well, what? What shall we try for uh, some more poems, I think, because it's the way you read the poems. Well, I'm trying to think. One day, we, Carl and I were riding somewhere in a car, and he says, Gary, I once wrote a four-line novel. I said, no, come on. He says, it goes like this. Papa loved Mama. Mama loved men. Mama's in the graveyard. Papa's in the pen. I said, well, there's the whole story. <laughs> there's a story. A novel right there. <laughs> oh, he was something else, wasn't he? I was trying to see if I had that one about lawyers, which I love, but I don't think I have it with me. Well, look, if you know lawyers, how about another piece of sight reading of Sandberg for you, for Gary Merrill? Uh, it's called... Unless you found something there. I've got a thing I'd like to read. I have a friend uh, who is now retired. He was a big uh, Unitarian minister in, uh, in San Francisco. Whenever I was there, he'd let me get, they had an adult form, and he'd let me get up and talk about bombs or read poetry or whatever. And he'd saved my life once when we were in college. He was a year ahead of me. And this was one of his prayer, and I just wrote it down. I just think it's lovely. Can I read that? Oh, please. Let us remember that depth of living and openness to life are two sides of one shining precious coin. Let us remember that we can choose how we will live. We can wall ourselves in with fences that are both unique and common. We can use the thoughts and beliefs of our fathers and mothers to defend ourselves literally to death against the fresh knowledge of our children. 
We crack open the seed at the center of a peach, and we find its flavor bittersweet in our mouths. Let us face whatever form of hopelessness may be ours out of our own strength, out of the bittersweet taste of our own lives. Let us not forget that we are members one of another, heirs and companions of all who have found faith in the midst of desolation, who have found songs in the midst of tears, who have found light where there was utter darkness. Let us learn to be open to the good that is in us and about us. Let us look hard and with compassion at the evil we find in ourselves. It may be the good trying to break through. Let us rejoice together. Let us rejoice together in the day and in the night. Isn't that lovely? You know what it reminds me of? What? A Sandberg poem, one that I know you know. Remember that advice, father's advice to his oh, son? Oh, yeah. Doesn't that fit so well in Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, that's one I read to the kids. You I see. know, but yeah. that fun... Yeah. I'm looking for it if I can find it here in the collection. Oh, I've got that it what here. You you want oh, you've got it there. Yeah, I've got it. Oh, I know you. Well, in that case, go ahead. Fire away. Uh, so the, as the guy would say, the dice is yours. Well, the dice is mine, but I'll see if I've got the second page of it. Now, I don't want to get in the middle and then... I should also I'm a little, not. I'm a little... <laughs> Too bad the audience can't see, see this. Maybe I haven't the got it The table is a mess. Uh, of I course, mean, wherever you, I go, my car is a mess, go, my house you, is a mess. You create a mess. I mean, That's right. Now, I see these papers, and it reminds me very much of... Yeah, here we are. Let's do this. The father's advice. I I explain to the children, you know, it's advice that a father gives to a child. It doesn't have to necessarily be a boy. It's just this is a son he uses. A father sees a son nearing manhood. What shall he tell that son? Life is hard. Be steel. Be a rock. And this might stand him for the storms and serve him for humdrum and monotony and guide him amid sudden betrayals and tighten him for slack moments. Life is a soft loam. Be gentle, go easy. And this too might serve him. Brutes have been gentled where lashes failed. The growth of a frail flower and a path up is sometimes shattered and split a rock. A tough will counts. So does desire. So does a rich, soft wanting. Without rich wanting, nothing arrives. Tell him too much money has killed men and left them dead years before burial. The quest of lucre, money beyond a few easy needs, has twisted good enough men sometimes into dry, thwarted worms. Tell him time as a stuff can be wasted. Tell him to be a fool every so often and to have no shame over having been a fool, yet learning something out of every folly, hoping to repeat none of the cheap follies, thus arriving at intimate understanding of a world numbering many fools. Tell him to be alone often and get at himself. And above all, tell himself no lies about himself, whatever the white lies and protective fronts he may use amongst other people. Tell him solitude is creative if he is strong, and the final decisions are made in silent rooms. Tell him to be different from other people if it comes natural and easy being different. Let him have lazy days seeking his deeper motives. Let him seek deep for where he is a born natural. Then he may understand Shakespeare and the Wright brothers, Pasteur, Pavlov, Michael Faraday, and free imaginations bringing changes into a world resenting change. He will be lonely enough to have time for the work he knows as his own. 
Yeah, Keep yourself, boy. Yeah. Don't get it loused up. What's remarkable, see, what you do in, in reading Sandberg, that we get the image of Sandberg, and yet it's you doing it, not, not he. That's yeah. the point. Yeah. And so, if anything, it's sharper, because he, as you know, Sandberg had that... Well, that's why he, I said, you write him, I'll read him, because he loved yeah. the sound of every letter and yeah. syllable. Yeah. So it went on. There was a man named Fezenden, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he, he Where was, to? Yeah, yeah. What next? <laughs> <laughs> Where to? Yeah, but well, that was his thing, you know. Oh, yeah, no, he was something else. I I learned a lot from him. I just happened to pass him, overheard him at a cocktail party saying to somebody, I'm very sorry, my dear, but you bore me, and I don't have enough time left. And he walked away. <laughs> so I said, well, I can't do it the way he did, but I just try to avoid those people. So you do... Sam, when in reading, you frost as well. Yes. And there's a wholly different world here, too, because cause frost, that, fit, that fits you even more than well, Sandberg does geographically. Geographically, yeah. and that's also why I use it for yeah. the kids, because yeah. they can identify with the stone walls and birches. Now, for instance, this is the, the payback you get from it. I had been out doing this all over the place, and I was driving down east, and I picked up a kid with kids who were hitchhiking, and I noticed one of them kept looking at me. And we were going through this stand of birches on both sides of the road. And he looked at me again. He says, didn't you read some poetry at Coney High School? I said, yeah. He says, yeah, I remember the birches, as you see. Yeah. The birches. Yeah. That makes it worth Those, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you got some frost down there somewhere? I think so. I think I'm not sure. Now, this is all... Uh, how can I describe this set? <laughs> the set. How can I describe these props? Well, there's Lord Buckley. You remember him. Oh, we got to do Hipsters, Buckley. Hipsters, flipsters, and finger-bopping daddies knock me lobes. I came here to lay Caesar out not to hip you to him. <laughs> Read some more. He was in Chicago, wasn't he? Read the some bad more. jazz that a cat blows wails long after he's cut out. The groovy is often stashed with their frames. So don't put Caesar down. The swinging Brutus has laid a story on you that Caesar was hooked for power. If it was so, it was a sad drag. And sadly hath the Caesar cat answered it. Here with a pass from Brutus and the other brass. For Brutus is a worthy stud. Yes, so are they all worthy studs. I came to wail at Caesar's wake. He was my buddy cat, and he leveled with me. It goes on like Oh, that. do some more. Yet Brutus digs that he has eyes for power. And Brutus is a solid cat. It is true he hath returned with many freaks in chains and brought them home to Rome. Yea, the booty was looty and hip the treasury well. Dost thou dig that this was Caesar's group with a push? When the cats with the empty kicks have copped out, yea, Caesar hath copped out too and cried up a storm. To be a world grabber, a stiffer rip must be blown. Without bread, a stud can't even rule an anthill. Yet Brutus was swinging for the moon. And yea, Brutus is a worthy stud. And all you cats were gassed on a lupercal when he came on like a king three, three times I laid the kingly wig on him, and thrice did he put it down. Was this the move of a greedy hipster? Yet Brutus said he dug the lick. And yea, a hipper cat hath never blown. Some claimed that Brutus' story was a drag, but I dug the story was solid. <laughs> I came here to blow, now stay cool while I blow. You dug him all the way once because you were hip that he was solid. How can you now come on so square 
now that he is cut out of this world. <laughs> City Hall is flipped and swung to a drunken zoo. And all of you cats have goofed a wig city. Dig me hard. My ticker is in the coffin there with Caesar. And yea, I must stay cool till it flippeth back to me. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Lord well, Buckley, Buckley would have loved your Chicago. reading of that. That's marvelous. You got the feel of Buckley as you got the feel of Sandry. There he was with his gray yeah, mustache. mustache. Yeah. She's your lords and ladies. Yeah. Yes, your highness. Yes, your grace. Oh, yeah. He was something, wasn't he? He was something else. You know who he was before he became Lord Buckley? No. He was a nightclub MC named Dick Buckley. Yeah. And he boos and boos yeah. and got in the fights and one day <coughs> decided the hell with it. And he learned. Now, some of these young hipsters at the time were called hipsters yeah. in the yeah. pre-hippie days. Yeah. They were hot shots. And here comes this elderly guy with a gray mustache, distinguished looking, looking like a banker. Yeah. And they said, oh, here's a square guy. And suddenly he comes through, and they didn't know what hit him. <laughs> they did, he outdid them oh, in their yeah. own field so much that he knocked them. They were absolutely floored. Sure. They he was incredible. Well, he was way ahead of his time, yeah. undisciplined, of course, because that's where he couldn't get anywhere. Yeah. But you find these in these little places. Yeah. And I think this is the only copy of all these things that he did, several of them that he did. Yeah. I mean, you know, the yeah. Naz. You remember the Naz? The, oh, huh. do it better than Naz. Why? The Naz, this is really... By the, if ever something is truly religious, I it's know. his interpretation. This is where you sort. I had a record of it, you know, and I'd sort people out. They'd say, that is just terrible. That's sacrilegious. This was the most religious thing. Of course it is. And now you read this to the kids and they the love NAS. it. No. Do the NAS. Look at all you cats and kitties out there whipping and wailing and jumping up and down, sucking on all that fine juice and patting each other on the back and hipping each other who the greatest cat in the world is. Mr. Melonkopf, Mr. Dallonkopf, Mr. Zellonkopf, Mr. Coffs, Mr. Eisenhower, Woos and Weezer, Weezer and Woozers and the Woozers and the Woodhills and Mr. Beechill, Mr. Churchill and all them chills. Hills, gonna set you straight. If they can't get you straight, they know a cat that knows a cat that can straighten you. But I'm gonna put a cat on you who was the sweetest, grooviest, strongest, wailingest, swingingest, jumpingest, most far-out cat that ever stomped on the sweet green sphere. And they called his here cat the Naz. And that was the cat's name. He was a carpenter kitty. Not a Naz was the kind of cat came on so cool and so wild and so groovy and so with it that when he laid it down, wham, it stayed there. Naturally, all the rest of the cats say, dig with this cat putting down, man, look at that cat, blow, let the cat go, hey, get out of the way, don't bug me, lad, get off my back, I'm trying to dig with the cat saying, Jack, cool. But they're pushing the Naz because they want to dig his lick, you see, dig his miracle lick. So the Naz say, wait a minute, babies, tell you what I'm going to do. I ain't going to take two, four, six, or eight of you cats, but I'm going to take all 12 of you studs and straighten you all at the same time. You look like pretty hip cats, you buddy with me. So the Naz and his buddies was goofing off down the boulevard one day and they run into a little cat with a bent frame. So the Naz look at the little cat with the bent frame and he say, what's the matter with you, baby? And the little cat with the bent frame say, my frame is bent, Naz, it's been bent from in front. So the Naz looked at the little cat with the bent frame and he put the golden eyes of love on his here little kitty and he looked right down into the windows of the little cat's soul and he said to the little cat, he say, straighten, up, zoom, boom, the cat went up straighter than arrow. Everybody jumping up and down, he say, look what the Naz put on that boy. You dug him before, dig him now. You know? oh, it was yeah, just, yeah. oh. But I mean, what's amazing is you're, you're capturing 
the feel, the cadence, and the the passion of old Dick Buckley, well, I, Lord Buckley. Well, I figured that I'd translate him because he got so you couldn't understand him, he'd go so fast. So I tried to translate him, you see, so that they understand. Funny thing about him, you know, he... he uh, he had, he was undisciplined. Yeah. But at the same time, the authorities got him finally. Yes, you know they did. They drove him to, to Wait, a heart attack and death, right? Well, you know what in, happened in New York. Right? They were out to get Billy Holiday. They were out to get. There's no. Oh, question. is that it? The police. Are, it's any, anybody has a past prison record, of some sort. They cannot sing at a club. That was in it. New York. Yeah. And Billy did it, and they knew about. Past difficulties had, and they got her. But because that law was passed, when mm -hmm. I mentioned Dick Buckley of early days to you, he got in all sorts of scrapes. Yeah. And one involved being arrested. And he didn't write that down when he had this job uh, in this nightclub, and they hooked him on it. Yeah. And that caused a great deal of. Uh, no, I got to know him out in him. California. It's just. Yeah. He's remarkable. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the one about the Mahatma, you know, the lion was bugging India. I mean, he was into everything. Oh, the raven and the bugbird. That didn't even, I never heard that Ooh, one. Ooh, the bugbird's about a guy who's got DTs, you know. No, no. And the bugbird. And he, he gets into Poe. That yeah. has no one got into Poe. That yeah, was Poe's problem. Yeah. And he would do the bugbird and sing. Oh. Never more. And, he, and he's got this image, he's got this nightmare, or the, the DTs, and all sorts of things oh happen. Oh, my God, where and here comes that bug bird. Oh, you never, oh, you got to have that one. Yeah. And the Pied Piper, too. That, I remember Ooh, you got your own railroad. Pied remember he got Piper. on the tracks and was... But because he's double-crossed by the burgers of the town, he's going to take those kids, and he did, you know. And, and, uh... But you got to hear the raven. That's a natural... I've got to, the, yeah. uh, the bug bird. The mm -hmm. bug bird, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, jeez, you don't know. I, Gary, a few, what, another poem or two, and then we'll go have us a bite to eat. All right. What, because I uh, see the garlic is there waiting to be well, cut off. Well, you find one. You find one. Ah, uh, here. What? That's uh, another one of yours, Sandberg. Oh, I know one. There's what? a Sandberg right here. What does the hangman do when he goes for, when he comes home for supper? Jeez, I don't know that one. 171. Well, Again, sight reading on your part. You need 171 uh. of the collection would we'll try that. That's kind of a good one. Yeah. As we're looking through, here it is. This one, again, it's, it's uh, alerting the audience. You haven't yeah. seen this at all. Right. No, I <laughs> Sight know. reading. All okay. right. This is from Smoke and Steel, the collection. What does the hangman think about when he goes home at night from work? When he sits down with his wife and children for a cup of coffee and a plate of ham and eggs? Do they ask him if it was a good day's work and everything went well, or do they stay off some topics and talk about the weather, baseball, politics, and the comic strips in the papers and the movies? Do they look at his hands when he reaches for the coffee or the ham and eggs? If the little ones say, Daddy, play horse, here's, here's a rope, does he answer like a joke? I've seen enough rope for today. Or does his face light up like a bonfire of a joy, and does he say, it's a good and dandy world we live in, and if a white-faced moon looks in through a window where a baby girl sleeps, and the moon gleams mixed with baby ears and baby hair, the hangman, how does he act then? It must be easy for him. Anything is easy for a hangman, I guess. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. 
You know, mm. you know one ender because you you've given of uh, your energy and time here. One more thing. Gary Merrill is my guest, and he just was passing through town. And Maine is his home, and poetry. the only way I get to see you is come here. You won't you, come to Maine. I one think. of these days. Mm-hmm. But you know what would be a good one for? And we'll go back to Shelley. This is we're, we're talking about power, guys in power, and guys <coughs> wild and rhetoric and. Uh, number one, whatever that may mean. Number yeah, one. Yeah, that is number one. And then here we go along, and then you read about them years later if we survive or you're old enough, and you no know, one even remembers who they are. Shelley uh, did it in Ozymandias. Yeah. That old classic yeah. Ozymandias. And so years ago, and perhaps just. Why don't you end, read it? End with that. No, you read it. All right. Here I read. will try. And this was Ozymandias. The reason I. I Point of this out is about just a little story goes, as Damon Onion would say, and as a tale goes along with it. Yeah. In this case, I found myself in Inner Mongolia about a number of years ago visiting yeah. China, a town called Huyahut, but I want to visit a barefoot doctor way up on the grassland. So yeah. traveling through, and our guides were there, the Chinese guides were there, and the Mongolian, a couple of Mongolian guys. And we see this old barn. He's once upon a time that was a palace of one of the princes, they say. And all you see is like a warehouse for sacks of stuff. And I thought of Ozymandias, you know, right? Because the, there it is in the desert, like yeah, in the grass yeah. hills. And so this is it. And perhaps this is, again, a sight reading. Let me see oh, yeah, if I can handle this. Ozymandias. Ozymandias. I met a traveler from an antique land who said... Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read which yet survive. Stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. That's yeah. all it could have been. You know, it might be, I'll read the last four right. lines of, a, of the collection that uh, Bob Cromie had of the uh, Poets of War, a guy named John Hall Wheelock, and it's four lines, and it's called Earth. A planet doesn't explode of itself, said dryly the Martian astronomer, gazing off into the air. That they were able to do it is proof that highly intelligent beings must have been living there. <laughs> we talk about a nice ironic ending to things. This is where we are today in the year 1985. Right right and the superpower is a building more and more and more and cutting down all human needs. Yeah. There we are. He says, the guys to have done that, to blow themselves, there must have been some very intelligent humans living there. <laughs> That's the really and something, they, isn't it? <laughs> and they're, they're making Ozymandias sound like a Boy Scout. Yes. This is Gary Merrill, is oh, my guest. Is. It seems the perfect ending after the Wheelock four lines is for Gary Merrill to read something of Frost that fits there, that George Drury here at the station had suggested. No, that was a, that was a great suggestion. What, uh, Frost, fire and ice, huh? Yeah. Some say the world will end in fire. Some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. 
But if it had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice. Boy, oh boy. Yeah. Finally, Norman Corwin, yeah. your colleague who, who produced, who directed the sandwich put it all show together, yeah. that you and Betty Davis did, uh, used that very frost bit for some of his own humor in something he called Overkill and Megalove. Oh, yeah, He's yeah. Dealing yeah. with the nuclear war yeah. and the bomb. Yeah, he was something. He, he put that show. You couldn't tell where yeah. Sandberg left off. He bridged it so well. And you know, Corwin just, began. Yeah, yeah. And Lovely. in this case, it's hard to tell in this case where Sandberg leaves off, where Lord Buckley leaves off, and Gary Merrill <laughs> begins. And this by way of thanking you very much. Oh, it's been a pleasure. You know, always just to see you was a pleasure. <laughs>